Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 206. It's titled, Be Bear Aware When It Comes to Bank Loans. Last week, LaPerl and I were over in Teton Valley opening up the cabin for the season that we bought last fall. And two of our neighbors walked by, a man and a woman, and he had a can of bear spray on his waist. And I asked him about that. You know, what, what's the bear activity been in the area? And he mentioned there was bears kind of a half mile away or a quarter mile away along the the wood line. But he gave an anal- or gave analogy or said something I hadn't really heard before and something he had heard in terms of judging when you see a bear, is it a big bear or not? He said uh, adult bears generally have this same size head. And so if a bear looks, if the bear's head looks small, then it's a really big bear. But if the bear's head looks big, then it's probably a smaller bear. In investing, we often focus on the head, just like with a bear, you tend to focus on the head. Investing, we do the same way. Same thing, we, we focus on the attractive features of an asset class. It might not pay as much attention to the body. What's lurking underneath that potentially could impact performance? I learned that lesson in the 2006 to 2008 period. A new asset class that I had never invested in, nor had my investment firm. And I bring it up because in some ways, today's environment is very similar to 2006. We have a central bank, the Federal Reserve, raising interest rates. We have an economy that generally is is progressing just fine. There's no real risk of a recession right now. We have low default rates on bonds. And it was this, in this environment with the Fed even more aggressively raising interest rates in 2006 that we introduced an asset class called bank loans. Also, they're called floating rate loans or leveraged loans. And these are loans made by banks and other financial institutions to non-investment grade companies. What's Unique about them is its variable rate debt in that the interest rate that the borrower pays is is tied to short-term interest rates, the three-month LIBOR, that's L-I-B-O-R, and it resets every 90 days. 
because the interest rate adjust, bank loans have no interest rate risk. So as rates go up, the value of bank loans don't go down. They essentially have a duration of close to zero. The other benefit is they're very senior in terms of the company's capital structure. In the case of bankruptcy or liquidation, companies typically are required to pay back the bank loans prior to other claims on the assets, including traditional non-investment grade bonds. Now, bank loans are non-investment grade in terms of when we talk about the leveraged loan asset class. Obviously, some bank loans are investment grade, but when we're talking about investing in bank loans, like I was doing in 2006, like I do today, like that's in the model portfolios on Money for the Rest of Us Plus, it's non-investment grade, but it doesn't have interest rate risk. And because they're senior in terms of the capital structure, the recovery rate in the case of default, and by recovery rate, how much of your money do you get back, was, at least in 2006, was, was close to 70%. You know, now it's been around 60%. Well, we'll talk about that, what it might be going forward. So at the time we invested in a mutual fund, it was called the Sykes Floating Rate Income Fund, ticker was SAMBX. 10, 12 years later, that's still the fund I invest in. They take a, a more actively managed more conservatively focused. And so they're, they're selecting the individual credits that are in the fund, about 400 different securities. You can invest in bank loans via ETFs. I think B, BKLN, I believe, is the ticker for, a, I think it's the iShares bank loan ETF. So there, there's ways to invest in them. And that, that was, those were the attractive characteristics. We pointed out in the write-up that these have been around for over a decade, but it was only in the last few years, sort of the mid-2000s, where there was enough transparent pricing, liquidity, and a cost-effective investment vehicle, such as this particular mutual fund, SAMBX, that we invested in. Now, go to February 2008. Well, let me step back. Here's one of the things that we said in the write-up as we introduced this portfolio change to our clients. Keep in mind, we had, I was the chief investment strategist, chief portfolio strategist. So we had, our our portfolio management team had discretion to to add this asset class and the vehicle because it it was considered part of fixed income. And I said in the write-up, furthermore, with short-term rates yielding over 5%, Due to successive hikes in the Fed funds rate, bank loans are now yielding close to 8%. This is an attractive yield for fixed income instruments with minimal interest rate risk. That's the head I was focusing on. Attractive yield, minimal interest rate risk. Now, fast forward to February 2008, and still just, just about when the, the recession started, although there was no clarity that a recession was beginning. But you had the Federal Reserve starting to cut 
interest rates fairly dramatically. So they were concerned. And more importantly, something that we didn't cover when we introduced the asset class, something I really wasn't even aware of, was how the price of these bank loans could fall as investors started to worry about potential defaults. So not actual defaults, potential defaults. The price of these of these bank loans would fall and their yields would go up. So their spreads would widen. And by February 2008, the spread relative to LIBOR was over 4%. When we invested in 2006, it was close to 25 to 3%. About where it is today, when we look at the yield on in a particular benchmark, is the S&P LSTA, U.S. Leverage Loan 100 Index. It's yielding, as of mid-May 2018, 5.2%. LIBOR is at 2.3%, and so that spreads about 2.9%. One year ago, May 2017, leverage loans were yielding 4.45%. LIBOR was 1.45%, and the spread was, was roughly 3%. So, and that's why they're, they're attractive, because as short-term rates have gone up, you're getting more yields. So now you're getting 5.2 versus 4.5. But what's important is what yield or spread are you getting above LIBOR? In February 2016, Right after market stock market had fallen close to 15%, oil prices had plummeted. There was a great deal of concern regarding default in the energy space. The yield on bank loans was 7.07%. This is just, just over two years ago. LIBOR was at 0.7, so the spread was 6.5%. And as that spread changes, that impacts the performance of bank loans. And that performance is driven not only by the the interest income you receive, but the change in price. The, The Trade Association for Leverage Loans, LSTA, reported that only 5% of loans traded below 90 in the first quarter, 90 being the price. Whereas, and that's roughly 10%, in the fourth quarter. 61% of loans traded above par, so above 100 at in the first quarter versus 51% in the fourth quarter. So pricing is getting richer for bank loans. Joseph Lynch, he's a portfolio manager at Newberger Berman, said in, in a Reuters article that I'll link to in the show notes, he says the average load loan trade price is certainly on the higher side, but ne- definitely not at a peak level. The market could trade up from here. It's just a reflection of solid underlying fundamentals and strong demand for loans. There, there indeed is a strong demand for loans right now. Loan funds, so leveraged loan mutual funds, had net inflows of $925 million last week. That's the largest intake in 55 weeks. 
That's according to the EPFR Global. Meanwhile, funds, high-yield bond funds, which, which pay a fixed rate or not variable rate, they, they had $1.3 billion outflow. There have been 11 straight weeks of inflows to U.S. leveraged loan funds. This is a bullish asset class. People are, investors are shifting from high-yield bonds into leveraged loans. It's bidding up the prices. The spread is narrowing. And more issuance is occurring. The size of the market, the the whole leverage loan market, now exceeds $1 trillion. That's double what it was just in 2010. Max Gokman, he is head of asset allocation at Pacific Life Fund Advisors. He said... We have been bullish, but we're starting to get more cautious. There's been a lot of new issuance in the first quarter. The problem when borrowers take on more floating rate debt as a percentage of their, lia- of their total liabilities is that it hastens their inability to pay that floating rate coupon. So as interest rates go up, then the, the interest rate resets. So borrowers have to pay more of their income in terms of of interest rates. And and that puts more stress on them. The the demand by investors for bank loans has led to more issuance, which means that companies are taking on more debt and, and they're more leveraged. The average company in a leveraged buyout had borrowings of 6.4 times a measure of its income that's known as earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, so EBITDA. So now it's 6.4 times. It was 6.2 times last year, and in 2016, it was about 5.9 times. So you're seeing more leverage in the system as companies take on more debt. Now, not only that, but the protections to those that, that are, are investing in bank loans, the lender protections are, are weakening. There's this concept called covenant light loans, which don't necessarily have the same legal protections for creditors, or it gives the borrower more flexibility in terms of what is a default. And these covenant light loans made up 82% of the leveraged loan market in April. Compared to, it looks like 60% in 2015. So we've had an increase or a, a relaxation or more laxed lending standards. For example, the Financial Times in an article wrote, one such safeguard measures how easily a company can afford to pay interest by comparing its EBITDA to its interest expense. When the ratio gets too low, lenders can demand repayment. Companies have been getting more aggressive in monkeying with how EBITDA is calculated, often by adding future revenue or subtract, of subtracting current expenses. 
While such addbacks have long been done to factor out one-time events that might distort a metric of a company's health, over time the adjustments have grown more aggressive. Christopher Remington, he's an institutional portfolio manager at Eaton Vance, says battle lines are being drawn between the aggressive versus the reasonable in both addbacks and covenants. We are increasingly digging in on covenant issues. And finally, Tad Ravel, he's TCW's chief investment officer, wrote to his clients, a further confirmation of late stage credit cycle is the enthusiastic embrace of financial engineering. Good investors do not believe in alchemy and when deal sponsors resort to off-color tactics to justify their deals, it's an acknowledgement that traditional metrics do not support the transaction. So bank loans are getting riskier. Their spreads are getting narrower. And because they're getting riskier, when defaults come, the recoveries will probably be lower. Moody's report on, on average, investors have recovered 77% on the dollar for first lien loans, essentially bank loans to failed companies. Now they're saying it could be 60 cents on the dollar. And that, that's the assumption we use at Money for the Rest of Us Plus. And for second lien loans, so you're sort of not, you're second in line, they're saying it historically has been 43% and it could fall to 14%. Now, before we look at the historical performance of bank loans and who the largest buyer of these securities are, let me share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. 
What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. I mentioned in early 2008, we exited our position that we held in bank loans because, frankly, I was shocked that they were falling in price like they were. We got, we got out early, but we didn't understand. I didn't understand to the extent the price could vary for these loans as concerns regarding defaults increased. The S&P LSDA, U.S. Leverage Loan 100 Index, fell 28% in 2008. It recovered in 2009. It gained 52% in 2009. And in that late 2015, early 2016 period, where, again, spreads widened, bank loans lost 2.75% for calendar year 2015. And then in 2016, returned 10.9%. Now, historically then, if we go back past five years, they returned 3.2% annualized, 3.4% annualized for the three years, and 4.9% for the 10-year. So this is not a, a high return asset class. If Because the fact that if we look at right now, they're yielding 5.2%, but that's before any defaults. If, if we have defaults, that potentially, you'll get recovery in those defaults, but it could, it could lower the return. If you're invested through a passive ETF, it could lower it by 1% to 2%. So this is a, an investment vehicle you have to be cautious with. As I mentioned, when I have a position in my personal portfolio, I have, it's in the model portfolios of money for the rest of us plus. But this is a position that the first sign that there, the risk of recession is increasing, I'll exit my position in the mutual, in the mutual fund that, that I own. And, and the reason why is because there's just, this is, they're not highly liquid. The, Average settlement time for a loan trade is 17 days. So a traditional bond settles. Once you sell, it settles in three days. A loan takes 17 days. So if there's mass exits from bank loans, that could put certainly some additional stress on pricing, cause those spreads to balloon out even more as the price of the bank loans fall. Now, one of the things that I did not realize was that collateralized loan obligations, and I'll explain what that is in a minute, is the largest, biggest buyer of loans. And this is from Guggenheim. They describe what a, a CLO structure is. It, it's a structured credit 
Again, I'll link to it in the show notes, or if you remember my free insider's guide, you would have already gotten those links because I email it right after I, I release that week's episode. It's free, includes other valuable content, including an essay often on things that I wasn't able to cover in that week's episode. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Here's what Guggenheim writes. CLOs purchase a diverse pool of senior secured bank loans made to businesses that are generally rated below investment grade. First lien bank loans, which comprise the bulk of the underlying collateral pool of a CLO, are secured by a debtor's assets and rank first in priority of payment in the capital structure in the event of bankruptcy. And that's what we've talked about. They go on, CLOs use funds received from issuance of debt and equity to acquire a diverse portfolio of senior secured bank loans. The debt issued by CLOs is divided into separate tranches, each of which has a different risk return profile based on its priority of claim on the cash flows produced by the underlying pool. A typical CLO will have 100 to 225 issuers. Now, this structure might sound somewhat familiar because we've talked about it in relation to mortgage-backed securities and the financial crisis. There is something called a collateralized mortgage obligation that also had these different tranches which, with the senior tranches rated very high, AAA rated. But then as homeowners defaulted on those mortgages, those junior tranches started having serious defaults, and even the senior tranches experienced severe defaults, and and that caused a great deal of distress. And and as a result, CLOs kind of got this this bad name because the similar structure to these collateralized mortgage obligations. But there's a difference because CLOs historically have had very low default rates. S&P says that between 1994 and 2017, only 0.4% of U.S. CLO ratings across all the tranches have defaulted. And the majority were in sort of the subordinate and mezzanine tranches. But across all of them, the riskiest to the least risky, the the default's only been 0.4%. And the AAA-rated tranches have never had a default. And so as as a result, these CLO structures are put together with these non-investment-grade bank loans, and they're sold out. This is primarily private. I looked. I could not find a CLO ETF. High Point, I believe, was, was going to issue one, but I never could find it. So you could have traditional bond managers that, that could be buying it as part of a bond portfolio within a mutual fund. But many of these are just, they're just private. They're set up as sort of limited partnership structures, I believe. So it's not something we can invest in. But it's important to know that you know, much of this bank loan issuance is going to these CLO structures. And, and when a recession eventually hits, we'll see what the potential impact will be because of these more laxed 
underwriting standards. Will CLOs essentially get hit this time because of the the the, the size of the the leveraged loan market has doubled, and m- much more, m- many more of these 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 bank loans are are of this covenant light version, where they're monkeying around with the EBITDA calculations and, and things of that sort. To give you an idea on the yield on CLOs, their spread for the AAA rated tranche has been essentially 1% over LIBOR. And so it, it does not have any defaults, but it, it the actual yield you get is much less than you, you would get if you actually invested in a bank loan, mutual fund, or ETF. But in summary, this is just the things that we should look at whenever we look at an asset class. How big is the market? What, what's the driver uh, of performance certainly have yield, but you can also have spreads, and those the different the as spreads change, as prices change, that certainly can impact impact it. We want to look at the liquidity in terms of you know are there more inflows coming in? Are investors getting more aggressive? Because that can impact future performance. This is a non-investment grade asset class, so there is risk there, but it's structured in a way that there's no interest rate risk. So it has some unique dynamics becoming more and more popular as now it's over a trillion dollar in assets, almost as big as the traditional non-investment grade market. But it's an investment that I hold, as I mentioned, but we need to be bear aware of of this asset class to recognize there's definite risk there that will show up when it appears, you know, when the risk of a recession gets higher. So that is episode 206. As I mentioned, you, you can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. That's where you can sign up for my free insider's guide. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered... Your specific risk situation. I'm not providing investment advice at all. I'm not recommending securities, even though I mentioned one today. Everything's just general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week. <laughs>